Welcome, everyone. The Bastards are back for this Thursday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a quick two-game set with the New York Yankees losing both games. They are still currently in last place in the American League East, five games under 500, and ten and a half games back from the final wild card spot. And if you're wondering, because of these two freebies we just gave the Yankees, they are now six games ahead of Toronto, seven and a half ahead of Tampa. So I think that's game, set, and match as far as the division goes. Everybody else is playing for the wild card. But uh, as always, quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Coming off the bench tonight, filling in for Andrew Dwan from the city of Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. Charlie? Good evening. It's been uh it's been a fun one. You know, the Red Sox are five games under five hundred, but still mathematically not out of uh taking the division. So that is our my joke of the evening. Eighteen games out. Yeah. I mean we lost both of those games in the most twenty twenty two way ever, you know. You bring in a trash reliever out of the pen in Familia. And then tonight, I they just they couldn't they couldn't field the ball, you know, on the yeah. double steal, and then long threw one away. It was just oh, it was a brutal game. Well, I, this is this is where I interject my favorite phrase that I've used multiple times. It was Bambi on ice right here, folks. It looked real, <laughs> real ugly. Just an absolute mess. And that whole inning. I mean, Brian Bayo had that inning fall apart after Xander misplayed one ball. Then Judge hits one really, really hard to him. They thought they had him at second base, and that was a 6-4-3 hopeful out at second. Didn't happen. Now you got runners at first and second. And at that point, it's it's just over. I mean, that it was a nice rip into right field by Torres, who absolutely torched the Red Sox today. But we just made two, three mistakes in a row. And you cannot make a justifiable excuse as to why he was even able to get to third base, let alone score. So uh, we, we just, we don't look like we're even remotely close to being a playoff team. We deserve to be where we are in the, in the standings. Christian Bayo must've been looking at his defense thinking, geez, I haven't seen anything that bad since single a Salem. (laughs) You know, just absolutely terrible. So a little bit of podcast news to get to pertaining to our staff. Uh, We have parted ways with Job Goddard and um, 
no real inside story, nothing sensational, just uh, felt a, a change was needed and um, never an easy decision. But Job uh, understood and uh, could very well be back in like a cameo appearance uh, next season off the bench. But he was a good teammate and a good soldier, and we appreciate everything he did with us over the last couple of seasons. And uh, we're uh, in the process of uh, getting a uh, you know a, a new host permanently into that seat. But everybody else will be back for 2023. Charlie will be with us, and uh, Jason and uh, Andrew as well. So. Not sure of the exact alignments on on the shows yet, but we'll be sorting that out in the coming weeks. Uh, so uh, I thought I had another thing. So, and as far as the audience, I mean, th- this just as far as the season in general, we are limping towards the finish line here. It's just it's been a tough emotionally draining season i i think we've been resigned for the last few weeks that we are in fact out of it um despite some moves being made at the deadline and this is challenging <laughs> this has been a very challenging season 2020 was only eight weeks long so not too tough there and i think at that point we were just happy to have baseball at all but uh, this season's just been tough, and we're we're hoping uh, next year we're at, at the second week of September talking about an intense race either for the division or for a wild card spot. That's what we're used to uh, in the month of September. So, any thoughts on the season, Charlie? Because this is your what? This is your third season uh, on the podcast third yeah third on it and then uh you know third and a half really because i think i did a couple cameos uh per your line earlier um I, we've all said this before you know the red sox are are not a good team right now um everything that could possibly go wrong is um the yankees were not the team that we thought they were going to be to start the season we thought it was going to be toronto's division to lose and we were all wrong uh, you know, coming back on the show and, and looking back at it, we were absolutely all wrong about Toronto. Now they're making a late season run. They've got an incredible, they've got an incredible shortstop in, in Bo Bichette, and that's going to keep Toronto relevant. The Yankees have Aaron Judge. The Red Sox have nothing but bad storyline after bad storyline. And that's the difference between the Yankees and the Blue Jays and us. Like for all the bad news that they've had, it can't even remotely be close to the overshadowing dark horse stories that are, it's just dark cloud, not dark horse, dark cloud stories that are hovering over the Red Sox. The saga with Rafael Devers, the saga with Xander Bogarts, the saga with Chris Sale, everything with Nate Evaldi. Those are the core four. After that, it just starts to spiral out of control where we have players that aren't ready, players that aren't doing their jobs, players that are upset about over how much money they're making, players upset over how much playing time they're getting players can't see the ball in the lights at Fenway park making BS excuses. It's one thing after another. It's making this look like a pedestrian triple a team. And we've said it before 2022 was a sad excuse of a team and high and bloom got away with it because 2021, the team massively overperformed and it wasn't even close. 
It wasn't close. Yes, we made the playoffs. Should we have been there? Absolutely not. And this year, you're seeing what happens when you don't put a high-caliber team together. 69 and 74, 143 games. We're one game out from mathematically being out of this. We've been out of this since May. We've been done for months, and it's not even close. We've just been asleep at the wheel for far too long. It's frustrating for, for fans, and for those that are honest, like like you and me, Terry, we're not going to hide, and we're going to call it out like it is. It's been a really ugly season filled with dumb moves. Yeah, I mean, bad moves on the field, bad moves in the front office, just bad, bad, bad everywhere you turn offensively defensively it's just been a a struggle and my first season on the podcast uh the very first episode and we were the fire feral podcast back then because i just had all this disdain for john Farrell and um Started just before the 2017 trade deadline, but that was a fun season because we win the division. We end up getting spanked by the Astros in the playoffs, but at least you had productive stuff to talk about. 2018, great season. World Series, great season to be a podcaster. 2019, essentially the same team that won the championship, but I think we only had 84 wins. Um we were in it until early September, so I wouldn't say it was quite as bad as this season was. But yeah, and then, of course, 2020, taking what you can get. Last year was a bit of a roller coaster, but again, not nearly as bad as this season. So we're just not used to being bad. I mean, the Red Sox have been bad in basically five out of the six months of of the this season. So... Uh, not used to that. And you look at these other markets of teams that are terrible. Could you imagine being a, a Seattle Mariners podcast before this season? Or a Kansas City Royals podcaster or a Detroit Tigers podcaster? I just, I can't imagine it. And, you know, I look at those markets and, and how much we take for granted. And maybe I shouldn't be complaining, but man, it's just been tough. <laughs> Tough, tough season. And it's not over yet. So there could still be more fireworks because we're not even halfway through the month of September. We're almost there. But there could still be more theatrics that could come. So, you know, I'm patiently waiting. We got, what, 19 games left for the Red Sox? And all of us were wrong as far as our, our predictions. We already got 90 busted. We got 94 busted couple in the 80s that are left, but there's not. There's no way that we're going to do that. My, we're, my we're not going to finish. Last year's 78-game prediction might have been a year off because uh, that's about what we're trending at. Let me uh, take a quick peek because I'm trying to remember what you and I both said for our predictions last year because we got hosed for it. You were low uh, 70s, I, 71, I 72. 70, uh, 72, I think. Let me check. Um. 70 and 92. Oh, 70 and 92. Okay. 70 and 92. Well, we'll, we'll exceed that because I think we're at, what, 67, 68 right now, something like that. Yep. And uh, so I, I think 78 probably sounds reasonable, but we'll see. We got three games against Kansas City that we'll talk about uh, in the final segment. But, yeah, so 
a couple of bright spots, I guess, for this series. Uh, Tristan Casas hit a uh, towering home run this time. Wasn't a cheapie. And kind of introduces himself to the New York Yankees. So that was uh, fun to see. And, oh, go ahead. I mean, Aaron, as far as, like, the series was concerned, when it all started, everyone was kind of curious. I think every Red Sox fan was kind of curious. You kind of, like, you don't want the Yankees to do anything, but you do want to see Aaron Judge make some history. I think the fact that Aaron Judge has been such a stand-up guy, I'm, I'm waiting. I want him to break Maris at 61 and 61 because as far as I'm concerned, 66, 70, 73, yeah, they're records, but there's an asterisk next to them. It'd be really cool to see somebody like Aaron Judge do it. I mean, yes, it sucks that he's a Yankee, but is he going to be a Yankee next year? He might not be. So there's an opportunity for him to break his record that he had with the Yankees this year because he's going to hit 60. He's three away. He had two yesterday, and they were no cheap shots. They were mood shots. His second one was a, it was like a floater. Like That was an awful pitch by Whitlock. And he just, as soon as it, it, it clipped the bat, you knew. And I thought he, there was a chance he was going to get three with Familia pitching yesterday. So, I mean, he's already broke the the 56 that we saw Ken Griffey Jr. hit multiple times in a row. Yes. And I, I don't know how I feel about it, though, because today you just have so much technology, so much sure. analytics to to get there and... Maybe that's offset a little bit by the the pitchers being a little nastier now. You know, change-ups are nastier, sliders. I, I don't even know how much of that stuff was being thrown back then anyway, uh, you know, in the Roger Maris, Mickey Mantle era. But but I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm just – I just feel like the balls are too manipulated. It's just – it's hard for me to really get into it, even if it were Devers – it's cool to watch, but you know, I don't know. You're not wrong with the analytics. I mean, there's definitely a lot more that's come out into the world. Like I don't remember anyone ever talking about war 15 years ago. I don't remember anyone talking about advanced analytics before that movie Moneyball came out. No one did it. It was boomer bus players. Everyone wanted the the, the home run hitters because they thought, okay, home runs mean wins. No. That's not necessarily true. I mean, for some, if you have enough home run hitters, sure, absolutely. The Yankees have Aaron Judge. You have Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, you have Anthony Rizzo when Rizzo's healthy. Rizzo is is a fantastic, serviceable first baseman. Giancarlo Stanton, when he can actually open his eyes and swing at the bat pro- or swing at the ball properly, is a really good is a really good hitter. He smoked one tonight. 113 miles per hour off the bat made Almonte look like a little league center fielder. It was a rocket to center field. And then he misplayed the ball right after that. We have our very own Yankees outfielder that appeared to just not be ready. Granted, the second one was him trying to manipulate and figure, not manipulate, it's not the right word, trying to, trying to feel where the wall was so that he could plan the landing. And the ball just managed to hit just the, the heel of his glove and bounce right out. You kind of felt bad for him, and he did make up for it in the bottom of the ninth inning with that that double that he almost got thrown out at. He uh, did, he, yeah. It was he, close. He, he, it was very, very close. But Almonte is not like a – it's not a sexy name, but again, this is 
following the trend of high and bloom, just picking up these players that are, you know, off the scrap heap. None of these guys are going to do anything. It's, it's, you know, that's the 2022 season, like you said, Terry. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, let's see, Juris Familia was the one who essentially coughed up uh, the game yesterday and uh, was DFA'd right after the game, and he had to announce it himself. <laughs> That's how the beat writers found out about it. So the Red Sox at this point are like, ah, just make him do it. Make him make the announcement. <laughs> it's just pretty sad. And, you know, he, he was a retread, and Dave Dombrowski didn't even want him. Ha- had him in the organization for a cup of coffee, and then, you know, booted him out so if dave dombrowski doesn't want a certain reliever why are we touching him i just i it was stupid to even take him on you know like we're we're hoping for this like 20 you know what was it 2015 2014 resurgence where he had 40 saves 50 saves that's not gonna happen that's six years ago six years is a long time that have passed this guy's done. He's 33 years old. He's not fooling anybody. Thank you for doing what you did. Your time is up. It's done. I, I don't even know the last time that he was relevant. Probably three, four years ago. Like just maybe he's with just not Oakland. Still a I think. Yeah. Oakland or yeah, Oakland or New York. Because I remember him with the Mets for the longest time. And he's just he ain't it. This is not the guy. So it was a surprise when he came over to, you know, came up to, to Boston. I wasn't really, I wasn't really feeling it. I didn't think this was like a sexy name. I didn't think he was going to make a, make the team any better, but you know, he's over now. He's done. Uh, I don't think he's going to get another chance. His career is over. Yeah. I mean, he, he might get a spring training invite somewhere, but I don't see him ending up on a roster next year at all. Mm-hmm. Um, Reese McGuire hit his first home run. I think it was of the season, not even just with the Red Sox. I think it was his first home run of the year, so that was nice. Still curious to see if he'll have a a role next year. Um, Connor Wong has been okay, not like super spectacular, but um, I think think he'll still be a serviceable uh, major leaguer as well. So I'm just wondering if that's going to be the tandem going forward i'm curious to see what's going to happen with him too because he's actually been having a really really good year in boston like since joining this is someone who we really weren't expecting anything and prior to today's action he was hitting like 370 so okay i mean you've you've had almost the same number of hits in half the games which is insane you have 53 games in chicago 34 hits you have 25 hits now or before today now you're up to 26 in 26 games Okay, cool. And you've had a home run. Your strikeout numbers are low. I'm happy with that. You're getting you're getting on base. You're doing your job, and you're doing the job of someone that we really weren't expecting any you know production from. We're not expecting any production from the catcher role right now, and you're doing it. So keep doing that. That's. About all you can do. I, I, I know, and I know he has a, um, you know, a weird past with the, with the incident uh, in the we don't, parking lot. We don't lot. need to go into yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Exactly. But I, I like him and I, I root for him. I, I don't care. I'm past all that. Uh, let's see. So that about covers uh, game one. Nick Pavetta, not terrible, but he, for some reason, seems to handle the Yankees pretty good as long as it's uh, at Fenway. Uh, game two, one of the bright spots was Brian Bayo, and that's what I said in the preview. I said, all I really care about with this game is that Bayo comes out, you know, pitches well, gets into a groove, and kind of introduces himself uh, to the division rival, um, just like I was talking about a few minutes ago with Casas. And Bayo went five innings. His pitch count got a little high, so that he wasn't super efficient. So if you want to knock him for anything, excuse me, that would be it. Six hits, uh, three runs were scored, but none were earned because that's when they were, you know, playing little league, uh, you know, in the infield there with all those throwing errors. Only walked one, struck out six. So his arguably what three out of four starts now looks pretty good. His ERA is uh, just hovering over five, but it was much higher. It was in the sevens or eights. So uh, Andrew keeps speculating that they're eventually probably going to shut him down at some point just because his innings count is higher than it's ever been. So more of a, you know, load management situation, but that was about as good as you could have hoped for against a lineup like that. Nothing more that you can say about that. I mean, Brian Bayo did everything right and through five innings was fine. One misplay by Xander Bogarts in the, um, you know, in, in the fifth inning and, once again, Brian Bayo has the team fall apart behind him. It's pretty frustrating. This is not the way I envisioned it going down. He did his job, and we weren't able to to follow through for him. I mean, the misplay by Xander was really confusing. I don't know if it was the camera angle that I saw, but it looked like he he kept going, and the ball like went right by him. That was the first camera angle I saw. The play right after that... Um, you have Aaron Judge smoke a shot to Xander, and what we thought could have been a potential six four three. Maybe you get one out. You're you're left with runners at first and second. Stanton's now at the dish. He strikes out, and then Torres, who's already had a ridiculous game already, rips one into right field, and then back to back throwing errors, just stupid mistakes. It shouldn't have happened, and it did. It was just stupid. And unfortunately, who wears the collar? Brian Bayo. So Brian Bayo is is made to look like he didn't have a good game. And truth be told, if we make that play at first, this inning is over. The, the fifth inning is over, and Torres gets a single, and Donaldson gets a single right after that to start the sixth inning, at which point you're probably bringing somebody else in anyways. You know, the damage the damage would not have been nearly as bad. This game would have been another one-run game. And maybe maybe if we're lucky, maybe none of the runs would have scored. Maybe we actually win this 3-2. to two. But because of just another 2022 Boston Red Sox moment, we can't capitalize. And we absolutely wasted a brilliant Brian Bayo performance. I say that because he's facing Cortez 
for the Yankees, who's doing fantastic this year, literally not making any mistakes. Um, uh, Nestor has, he was given like a, a very inappropriate name, but like it was supposed to be like an endearing thing, but they didn't understand like how it came out. And Cortez got ahead of it and said, hey, like, I get it. He said, I'm sorry. I'm all good. We're cool. Let's move on. At that moment, you can't really boo Nestor Cortez now because he's not saying anything about, oh, that well, that was racist or, oh, it was because of where I'm from or anything like that. And that's great. I had a lot of respect for him. Cortez is not someone I'll ever boo. But when you have Bayo going up against Cortez, that's the matchup you want. Imagine how much better this game could have been if that stupid inning didn't happen. That would have been six, seven innings of maybe some pretty exciting pitching by Brian Bayo. That could have been some really exciting Cortez Bayo magic. That could have been an awesome rivalry for the future. And instead, it was a, a wasted opportunity. And this just looks like an everyday game, at least for the Red Sox. And uh, before Perez, uh, excuse me, Cortez, Nestor Cortez uh, stuck up for that player. He actually was involved in his own controversy, similar to what Josh Hader was involved with. Um, Cortez put up some rap lyrics on his Twitter like eight years Correct. ago. Yeah, Correct. so so when the shoe was on the other foot, he was the forgiving one and just kind of showed everyone, you know, we don't have to be stupid and create drama out of nothing. Right. So I, I respected that as well. Um, the Another fun fact, uh, three of Bayo's strikeouts were to Giancarlo Stanton. <laughs> so he fanned in three of them. Um, he didn't manage to strike out Aaron judge, uh, judge, uh, grounded out in one of them, uh, walked in another and then singled, uh, in another. So judge didn't really, um, really hammer on him. Like you might've expected coming into the game, but still just a nice performance from Bayo. He didn't rattle. He didn't wither. It wasn't, uh, the moment wasn't too big for him. And, um, I'm excited. I hope we see like an uptick with his velocity a little bit. I hope they can kind of tinker with that uh, over the winter. But uh, still, uh, that slider's nasty, and and uh, you know he's he's getting guys out. So one other concern. Or do you want to say anything else? No, just to, just to add, like imagine what Bayo's going to look like if he can add another tick or two to that fastball. Exactly. And if you throw another five to ten pitches of more consistency, you're looking at a six to seven inning guy every outing. Right now, the Houston Astros have, um, I think it's Framber Valdez, 24 or 26 straight quality starts. It's about to be a record, I think. And he was not listed as a starter this year. He was not in the rotation to start the season. If really? you look back at his numbers, Framber, I'll have to pull it up, but Framber uh, was not was not listed on the depth chart from uh, the beginning of the year. So Framber Valdez, let me let me go back to a game log. So game log for maybe I was mistaken. You might have been thinking of Garcia, maybe. I think you're I think you're right, but but Valdez has thrown a quality start in every single game except for two, April 13th and April 19th. I misspoke. <laughs> I apologize. But I know that Framber Valdez's name got brought up because he's just Mr. Innings. He's striking people out. He's got 
a lot of innings of work and his ERA is 2.5. Like this is probably a, a safe Cy Young pick for next year. He's 15 and five this year. He's doing incredible. He just had a complete game, I think. I don't know if it was a shutout, but he, he pitched nine innings recently. Um, yeah, and he was pitching pretty well in the playoffs last year as well. So I, the potential was starting to kind of come through. I, I don't think we ever, um, you know, forecasted a, a streak like this with the quality starts. But, but man, they seem to develop pitching like better than any other market in Houston. And the thing is, is before Lunau got fired as a result of the um, the cheating scandal with the the hidden cameras, they were kind of pulling those guys out of the Venezuelan market, and that's where Framber Valdez comes from. It's where Luis Garcia comes from, and and they were actually older than some of the other players that were being signed out of the Caribbean. So it's just kind of interesting how they honed in on that uh, on that market. Um, they're not the first ones to come out of it. Eduardo Rodriguez from Venezuela. I think even Miguel Cabrera comes from there. So it's not like, uh, you know, a country that's unheard of as far as producing major league talent. But but uh, Lunau, you know, seemed to to hone in on something. So it's too bad he was such a sleazeball because, you know, he'd still have a job today in Major League Baseball if he wasn't. But all he ever did was lie and throw people under the bus. And and uh, so that Rays executive, uh, James Click, uh, took over and has done a pretty good job. They haven't really missed a beat at all. So maybe this is the year they don't choke <laughs> again. But uh, one other area of concern before we get to the uh, Royals matchup. I've come to the conclusion that Tanner Houck is my closer. I have no control over that, but if I did have control over that, I want Tanner Houck. There's just something about Garrett Whitlock where there's just, he's a bit of a head case, I feel like, and that messes with him a little bit on the mound. He doesn't quite execute. I forget who he gave up the home run, but he basically grooved a middle-middle ball. It goes over the fence, and I think that tied the game, if I'm not mistaken. All these brutal losses are starting to run together, but um, I'm just a little concerned. I'm not saying he's going to be a bust. I'm, I'm not going to go that far, but maybe he's not going to be the dominant shutdown guy everybody expected him to be. I, I think it was you. I think it was you in the group that said um, I have. Uh, trust issues with him first i officially do yeah you officially do i don't i'm not gonna say that i have trust issues with him because it's a it's a slight blip we already know where we're getting with whitlock i don't think he's gonna find himself as the the closer long term i think he's gonna be kind of like that hybrid multi-inning guy i do not want to see him in the starting rotation again i want that experiment to be done please please done um as far as my closer is concerned i would be open to having tanner have be that guy but i would also be open to being somebody else if the red sox were gonna you know open up the purse and get somebody out there 
I don't want to see a Canley Jensen in there. I don't know if I'm if I'm ready to do like a reclamation project with Josh Hader, but I want somebody good. I want somebody consistent, and I want someone that can stay healthy. Someone that as soon as they're in the ninth inning, it's done. So I'm curious to know what the Red Sox will be able to do. But if I had to make a closer decision, you can't go wrong with either. I know that you mentioned you have trust issues officially with with Garrett Whitlock. I don't want to say that I do because that would go against literally everything that I've said against him all season. On top of the fact that he's been one of the bright spots for the Red Sox this year in a season that's been covered with just garbage. So I just don't want to poo-poo him too. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I, I have to just because of the way that this season has transpired. He came up clutch for us in a way that no other pitcher did. He was one of the only bright spots. So I just, I'm going to have to call it, unfortunately, a blip on the radar. Well, we're, we are too close to the end of the season, so nothing definitive will be known until probably next May or June. But um, I guess, I think the thing I failed to articulate a minute ago was it's his body language that kind of bothers me a little bit when he's on the mound. He just seems uncomfortable and... He looks tentative, I, I guess, would be another way to describe it. So I hope I'm wrong. I, I hope he uh, I hope he leads the league in saves next year or some insane category. Uh, I'm not rooting against him, but I'm, I'm officially lowering my expectations a little bit compared to where everyone else seems to be. But, uh, all right, let's uh, go ahead. And, of course, I got out of that page. So let's go back to it. Probable pitchers. Here we go. So game one is on Friday because of this goofy uh, two-game set with the Yankees. So we had two off days this week. Pretty soon we'll have seven off days. Um, Friday. That's, That's right around the corner, Terry. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. Exactly. It's coming. So I've never heard of Jonathan Heasley, if that's how he pronounces it, but he's facing Michael Waka. Heasley does not look uh, like he's having a great year. Uh, five and a half ERA. Let's get his uh, game logs up here. Last three times out. Ooh, he got tattooed against the Tigers uh, in his last start. Seven runs over four innings. The two before that actually weren't bad. Uh, only two earned runs over seven innings uh, against the Tigers again. So he uh, those were back-to-back -back, uh, games for him. And then uh, three earned runs in five innings against the Padres. So I guess this is the type of guy who I, you should expect to put up some runs on, but these are also the guys we we get stifled against so how do you have that one going he is pitching against waka so i got waka winning this one handedly um this is the only one that i'm 100 uh red sox are gonna win this one uh, i can't say that positively and conclusively in game three which is the only other one that's a, a question mark because i don't think we have a chance in game two uh, after the first two i have the red sox winning the first one kansas city winning the second one and the third one's going to depend on a couple things um, but Michael Waka is back to his old self of he's playing in a manner that is making it incredibly difficult to choose against him. 
<laughs> when you go out and give six innings, four games in a row, you are 3-0 and in those starts. You are averaging three earned runs or better. You're striking out an average of six guys or better. I cannot bet against you. You are doing your job. That's it. I think his uh, salary next year goes up about a million and a half per start. So... <laughs> feels like he's uh you know gonna gonna get paid i'm kind of hoping it'll be by us for a contract that makes sense but um it could be a crazy market especially where there's not a lot of great starting pitchers out there i mean outside of maybe noah Syndergaard, i mean who's the second best it might be waka it might literally be waka so so some team could be more aggressive than us in terms of signing him won't spend much time on game two brady singer versus rich hill hill hasn't looked terrible as of late but he is pitching at fenway where his uh era is i think in the sixes so gotta go royals on this one no question here uh brady singer is just too darn good right now and too darn consistent to uh say that he's going to do anything other than 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 well i think uh he really started to turn heads after he had that 10 strikeout performance against the yankees ever since then he's four and one and he's been pitching almost quality starts on an outing basis his last let's see three six nine ten games one non-quality start everything else all six innings or more he is doing his job and he's getting six or seven strikeouts almost every game too he had one game, which is kind of like a, a, a weird anomaly against Cleveland. Six innings, one strikeout, no decision. But in his last 10 starts, four and one. Doing his job. And then finally, game three, uh, Bubik, Pavetta. Um, give me Pavetta. This is where I'm going to go. I'm leaning Pavetta too. Uh, everyone has to remember that Kansas City was the team that gave us fits in that last series. We faced them earlier this year, True. and we ended up losing three games out of four, which is really, really frustrating. Now, um, I don't remember if Bubich pitched in that series. He did. I, do you remember what game it was? I think he pitched very well. That's all I remember. I, I literally have to go back to the um, – Okay, so it was actually the first game. It was the first game of that series. So it was Pavetta against Bubich. Pavetta allowed three runs, seven hits, five innings, and Bubich two runs on four and six innings with six strikeouts. So I want to say that Pavetta is going to learn from his mistake and rectify that situation against Kansas City. But for some odd reason, it's just been like the really, really bad teams against the Red Sox seem to just get their – they seem to get the job done. I'm hoping that we can – we can figure it out because at least these three games will be at Fenway Park, so we'll have the, you know, the fans behind us. But uh, we need Pavetta to win this one, and even if if Pavetta wins this, we split Kansas City for wins on the season, as far as uh, the record goes. Because it would be, uh, oh, actually no, excuse me, we need to sweep this series in order to take take the season series because we played four and then we're going to play three. And right. I don't think we're facing them again all season. So no. it's going to be just 
hopefully take two out of three and 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 look a little bit better. Yeah, so, and it was an odd number of games too, so you can't tie. One team's going to win. Right, you're right. Uh, yeah, so I guess officially I'll go two out of three. I guess I'll match you. I'll the, match you. We'll say two out of three. The interesting thing from here out is just what's the win number. You know, what do you get to? You know, I was talking about seventy-eight earlier, but um, but who really knows? <laughs> so I guess we will wrap on that. We will be back Sunday to discuss what did happen in the series, plus any other news and notes. Uh, So everybody have a good rest of your week and a great weekend. Take care.